Phil, can you pass me the manual for the dingometer, please? Yeah, sure, Tony. What seems to be the problem? Well, the dingometer hasn't been its usual jolly self recently, and I wanted to see if there was any advice in the troubleshooting section. Hang on. Ah, there's only one entry in the troubleshooting section. Great, that sounds easy. What is it? Turn it off and turn it on again. Welcome to the Dingometer, where we uncover the factors that produce awesome learning designs. I'm delighted to welcome Geraldine Murphy as our guest in this episode of the podcast. Geraldine has been working as a learning professional for over 10 years and is currently Director of Content Solutions and Services at LearningMate. After completing her teacher training back in 2009, Geraldine has applied her knowledge of learning and technology in schools, colleges, universities, and more recently for commercial organisations. Her depth of experience gives her a highly informed perspective to talk about the emerging field of learning design, and this is why we were so excited to have the opportunity to talk with her. Now, if you're interested in learning design, then there is a ton of useful information in this episode. Geraldine shares her views on the factors that make a great learning experience, which include language, writing and connection, and the important role of narrative in guiding learners through a learning experience. She also highlights the difference between andragogy and pedagogy, and explains why this concept is super useful in helping to pitch learning experience at an appropriate level. So, without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. All right, so Geraldine Murphy, welcome to The Dingometer. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much for inviting me. I'm very excited. Geraldine, you've done a lot of work in learning design over the last few years, uh, both in the UK and internationally. So you've got a lot of experience of working as a learning designer in different roles. And I want to get into that in the podcast. But just to start off with, how did you first get into this area? What was your background? Did you did you decide you wanted to be a learning designer? How did you get where, where uh, you as an experienced learning designer? I think that's a great question to start with. And I think actually learning design wasn't really a thing when I was choosing, you know, what I wanted to be. I, I just don't think it was, you know, it wasn't a role like I want to be a fireman or whatever. Um, it was back in 2009, I started my teacher training. So I was specialising in kind of post-compulsory uh, education, so 16 plus. Um, and I was kind of thinking that, yeah, it was really great. I enjoyed being in the classroom. I was teaching kind of media studies, so AS and A-level study, media studies and computing and a bit of, well, basically anything that I was allowed to get my hands on at that time because I just wanted to gain experience. And then I started actually thinking about some research questions that came out of that. Um, kind of two-year journey and I was looking at digital literacy and that was my research study area so I started to do um, an MPhil in digital literacy and I wanted to look at the FE sector because it wasn't a sector that was really highly uh, engaged in in research I thought that would be interesting for me to look at Um, I really like the research question I think it's really important so I kind of went off and did that Halfway through my MPhil, I was like, I actually want to work in this sector. I don't just want to learn about it and talk to people about it. I think that's something that I would enjoy. So actually, I started working as a learning technologist or a okay. learning technology assistant or a learning technologist. It was, it was quite a junior role back in the Loughborough College. Yeah. In 20, oh, I think it's 2013. It uh, and it kind of all started from there, really. I hadn't particularly seen my skills as a skill set at that point because I wasn't, I didn't know a lot about learning technology or a lot about learning design, but I felt that 
I knew quite a lot about teaching and with a media background, it just seemed quite a nice fit. So I started doing that. Um, I met some really good colleagues, tried to learn as much as possible, as quick as possible, and really kind of try my hand at, at doing things, getting things wrong. And it went from there, really. That was that was kind of start. But yeah, I don't think learning designer was was really a thing back then. No, it's funny when you did this at the end of career, end of end of university checklist. It was like, do you want to be a transport manager or whatever? <laughs> but it wasn't really. Do you want to be a learning designer? <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Maybe now, but no. But that's interesting. You've had, in many ways, had quite a similar background to me. I started off teaching and then moved into learning technology, and that's how I've sort of ended up getting to learning design. So I'm interested then because you've got a, a very interesting background uh, coming from teaching through technology into learning design. So based on your experience of working in those areas, what would you say? Off the top of your head, really, what are some of the factors that underpin a great learning experience? If if I were to put you on the spot, what is it that makes you think, yeah, that's you know, a great. If I'm going to design an effective learning experience, if it's got to be really good, what are some of those things to you? What's important when you're designing learning experiences? Again, that's a, a super question, and I think there's a, there's a lot of things that you know we see as good practice. There are things that we borrow um, in terms of different fields that we look at, so UX, UI learning design, kind of instructional design, all of those kind of things kind of play into it. But I do think, for me, it's about language and writing and connection. And I think you can't underestimate the importance of the language that you use when you're scripting courses and when you are giving learners and students context to, to what it is they're actually looking at and the way that you help them navigate through. So things like having a clear narrative between themes, concepts, and kind of a clear reasoning as to why learners have been asked to do certain things. So why does this activity matter? Why am I asking you to do this task? What are you going to get from it? So, so yeah, clear narrative, I think, is, is probably really important for me just because I, I love language as well. It's kind of uh, my, my favourite part of the, <laughs> of the, of the role. Um, and I guess another thing would be level appropriateness and choosing the right types of activities at the right time and using the right tool. And that might seem really obvious, but I'm not sure that it actually is in practice that obvious. So I think there was one example of that and I was, I was really confused by it, but I just thought, oh, that's super interesting. And maybe that's, there's something in there. So I did see a, that was a, a while ago. It was in one of the courses that I was kind of working on and it was, a task that had asked students to keep a personal diary and reflections on a group task that they were doing with a group of their peers. But the tool that they'd chosen to use was a discussion board, which was open and public. And I just thought that's a really interesting choice. It's not going to turn out well, is it? <laughs> it's not going to turn out well. You're really not going to get students being honest and ooh, that could go really badly wrong. So I guess, yeah, choosing the right types of activities and the right tools. If there's a mismatch, I think that's, that's a bit of a problem. Um, and something that I've always been interested in, and I think because I've come from a, a post-16 education background and really interested in the work of FE, is, is the difference between pedagogy and andragogy and when to design from each approach. And, you know, talk a lot about pedagogy it's it's all of the, all over the place every conference that we go to it's pedagogy but 
I don't really hear that much about the importance of andragogy in teaching adults. And I think it wasn't really until I moved into some projects that were corporate that were looking at different sets of learners, different sets of outcomes, you know, um, more about adults learning experientially, knowing why adults need to learn something if it's about problem solving or if it's related to their day-to-day jobs, adults are more engaged in what they're actually learning. So that's something that working in HE is not really talked about that much, but I think it's really important to acknowledge, particularly if you're designing for higher level courses. Um, And I guess, yeah, the last thing would be connection. So I think a lot of e-learning courses maybe don't include as much personal connection as they could. And for me, people add the value. So I can go off and read loads of stuff online, articles, watch some YouTube videos and stuff, but I only learn a certain amount of knowledge through that. If I do the same thing, but I'm guided and debated with and I have discussions with experts in that field, it becomes a completely different thing. And my knowledge has the chance to to grow a bit deeper than it would have been um, just by me going off and finding some stuff with no pathway. So that connection and and the the people value that 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 brings is, is super important. That's fascinating. There's loads in there, loads of really interesting things that I'd, I'd like to get into, particularly starting this idea of the difference between andragogy and pedagogy, because I think I'm probably as guilty as the next person of focusing heavily on pedagogy and learning theories um, and their application throughout education and university. But you're right, a lot of learning designers are increasingly being employed by organisations and you're designing for adults, for professionals, for people who are might have been out of education for quite a long time. Can you perhaps give us an insight into that? What what would you say are some of the core differences if you're designing for adults specifically in a learning design context and you're thinking about principles of andragogy instead of pedagogy? What what would you do differently? Yeah, well, I think there's there's a few key principles that are slightly different for andragogy. Um, and I think one of the biggest ones is that most of the time it's, you know, intrinsic motivation of the learner is really important. And the theory is kind of in andragogy and, and learning focus on giving learners a real clear understanding of what where, of why they are doing something. Um, and with that, you should aim to provide a lot of hands-on experience so that what adults are learning, they can apply directly straight away and they get chances to do it um, kind of in a safe space like we would do um, um, in higher education courses as well. Um, with andragogy, you're probably less likely to give the amount of instruction that you would give uh, kind of on uh, lower level courses for undergraduates, for example, so that the less instruction that you give, the more chance that the adult learners have to figure it out themselves um, and then they can go on and tackle the kind of applications and the tasks themselves. And I guess one big difference might be that you might hang the concepts and what you're actually teaching around the adult learners that have experience already. So you might design it slightly differently in terms of, might not have to start at the very beginning, but you might have some kind of activity or knowledge setting piece that looks at the expectations and the experiences of the adult learners in the group and go from there. But that would probably depend on the the outcomes of the course. But a few different things, um, I guess the main thing is that I'm guilty of it. I don't know if you'll be guilty of it as well, but when we're 
skim reading things. We really are skim reading things and we're, <laughs> we're kind of <laughs> clicking yeah. through and, oh, oh, I don't know if that's directly relevant, maybe turn the page. And I think that's really uh, a clear a clear differentiator in, in teaching adults, uh, you know, over teaching uh, students and, and younger people. We retain or we take with us what we really need to know. And if we don't think something's directly applicable, we'll probably just leave it there. So I guess that's that would be probably one of the main things that I would hope to keep in my mind if I was designing experiences for, for adult learning and training. That's really interesting because th- this that leads me nicely on to the next question that I wanted to ask you, which is, I suppose, and this is a huge generalisation, so forgive me, but in recent years, in inverted commas, there's been a lot of e-learning used in organisations, you know, for a good amount of time, probably over 10 years. And a lot of that is often... Uh, you know, uh, storyline type content, articulate content, um, click through e-learning, which is all aimed at adult learners, but as, as we know, can be designed in a quite an unengaging way. So, what what's your view of that? If we if we are designing for adults, can we or what can we do about that? Is this why or are we seeing a, a move away from that kind of method of delivering again in inverted commas learning to adult learners and organisations? Is this perhaps why we're seeing a growth in things like learning design because because of that what what, what are your thoughts on that oh, I think that's a huge question um, <laughs> and uh, I think we should start by you know addressing the click-through designer if it's I think I think it's a problem because if it's not engaging I think whoever you're designing it for is not going to be engaged and I think there's a lot of courses that are delivered with you know the students almost in a vacuum but they don't get to engage with the content, particularly apart from clicking some stuff and moving some stuff around, which, you know, we call them interactivities, but they're not really. They're just, you know, I could do that with a pen. Um, I could move the pen around on my paper. It's not really, I don't think it's really giving much value. It really shows that maybe they're forced to look at it and read it and, and kind of kind of go to that surface level almost. But I don't know whether that kind of learning really has as much application as maybe we think it has if we were designing that kind of training. Um, I think if it was for adult learners, I think I would do exactly the same. I would probably just click through it and just take the very bare bones and you know just keep pressing next. And if you're not challenged and if you don't have to participate and if you can and are able to, just kind of work through it and it, it starts to feel like a bit of a tick box which I think we've all kind of felt when we've had to you know go through those health and safety e-learnings where you have to choose which <laughs> fire hydrant you need to pick or whatever and I, I, I don't feel like that type of corporate learning or training provides enough value I think there is there's a bit missed opportunity there and I think we're still trying to work that out. And I think we will keep trying and keep experimenting and, and doing things differently. But I don't know if I've answered your question there at all. Yeah, no, I think I tell you, it, it is a huge question, but I suppose I'm interested in this in this growing trend of organisations hiring learning designers, um, which seems to be a relatively new phenomenon. Um, whereas before we've had learning development departments, but increasingly there are specific learning design roles in all, all major companies, it seems at the moment. I suppose following on from the previous question, what are, what are your views on that? What do you think perhaps might be some of the reasons why learning design is becoming 
more attractive or more in more in need, more recognised as a useful discipline alongside perhaps more recognised things like service design, for example, or UX design? Mm. Yeah, and I think in part it could be that it is actually seen as a discipline now. And I think it's been, the good practice has been building for years and years and years, and it's not particularly a new field per se, but I think it's gathered huge momentum over the last few years, and it's actually now viewed as a kind of field or subject in itself, which is great because, you know, we've been kind of working in the field for a while, and I don't know if you felt it as well, but I kind of felt like I was a bit of a, a faux academic and not really <laughs> that important, but, you know, yeah. um, so I feel like the title actually has a lot of meat on the bones now, but I think it's a really interesting phenomenon to see LD roles and the different types of LD roles that have popped up in uh, businesses and corporations uh, <laughs> over the last few years. And I think I did a search for, learning and development on LinkedIn. And there was pages and pages and pages of job titles. And, and a lot of them were quite different. So we've got, you know, learning design, learning design consultant. We've got learning experience designer consultant. And, and the list kind of goes on. And I think yeah. <laughs> working with startups, it's been quite interesting because quite often I've worked with startups and they kind of go, what's what do you want your title to be? What What do you do? How would you define what you do? And I think part of that you know the the lot of kind of roles that we have now are, are partly out of of that conversation describe to me what you do and what you'd like to do and there's been a bit of an amalgamation of experience design product design learning design I think businesses have realized how much value learning designers bring to the party in terms of you know thinking specifically how they interface with UX and UI. I mean, I think UI and UX experts really bridge the gap between form, function, and the pattern, pattern of learning, and really the look and feel of the experience as a whole. So I think they're really, really important experts to kind of work alongside. And in the last few years, I've done a, a quite a few short courses to learn more about the concepts of, of UX and UI to kind of make sure that my own practice is more comprehensive. But again, UX, UI is such an, a huge field in itself with so many concepts and facets of its own. It's just really not possible for an LD, LT person to be able to cover all of those realms because it's huge. But there's so much overlap that we can really share some, some good practice between those two fields. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a very interesting very interesting concept, and it's it's. I think it's bring bringing huge value to to businesses. Yeah, this is the interesting thing. That's this is what I've been trying to tap into over the last few months. Is what is that value, and how do we articulate it and express it in such a way that people can see themselves in it? Because I think, much like yourself and me, there's a lot of uh, I'm not say ex teachers, but a lot of people come who come through a formal teaching background who probably have the skills to be learning designers, but maybe have never been formally trained in learning design. So I suppose based on the um, companies you've worked with over the last few years, you know, internationally, you, you've held a, a range of roles, you've done a range of work. What what do you, or, or are you able to boil down the, the the key functions of a learning designer? I mean, obviously you've been asked to do different things. You've been asked to define your own role, but do you have a sort of a clear vision when you're going into a new role of, this is what I think I can bring to the party, if you like, this is what I think I'm, where I'm going to add value here. <laughs> You'd like to think so. Um, <laughs> I, I, 
I do actually approach every different job with, um, and I think it's really important. And if if you said to me, you know, what's what's one of the core skills or experiences for a learning designer? I think it's just to have a positive and open mindset. And I think <laughs> that can really go quite far. Um, and a kind of a willingness to to learn and keep learning because every job and every role that I've kind of gone into, I've had to add strings to my bow. I think that's just natural and that's normal and that's a good thing. So I think where I've been comfortable enough to say, I can really add this value because I have this experience, I've done all these things. I think it's equally nice to be able to go, yeah, I totally get it. I really love what you're doing. I will you know, I will learn from you as well, because I think in the world that we're working in, I think it's good to, uh, to keep developing and, and, and add to those skills. Um, but a diff- different roles, uh, different contexts, different businesses all require slightly different approaches. And I've really been lucky to work with some really great people and I've kind of taken their good practice and, and learned a lot from them which I'm now bringing back to the UK higher education sector where, you know, I've been working with HSBC, lots of small startups across Europe. Um, And going back to the question before about kind of startups and different types of learning design roles and and development roles, I think it's really interesting to see that in the startup sector in Europe, there's, there's such a value put onto those learning design roles. And I've been told that quite a few by a few startups in in Europe that those people with those skills just aren't there they don't seem to be able to find the right people and uh, I had a contact who told me that instead of hiring learning designers because he couldn't find them he had to kind of go for product designers and train them a bit more into the learning side of things so really really interesting but again going back to this question (laughs) (laughs) ramble on um, yeah, I think it's different sets of experiences, different sets of skills, but I think positive, open, inquiring mindset will get you very far and empathy. <laughs> I think yeah. you can't have enough empathy at the moment. Yeah, no, I think that's very much an underrated skill. It's easy to position it as something quite fluffy, but actually it's a really practical way of getting into a learning design, understanding what needs are, what people's needs are and expectations. Absolutely. it's It's part of the kind of, design cycle for me and I think um, along with that I would say probably a recognition that there's not just way, one way to do things so you know there are concepts and good practice but you know we can innovate we can still do things differently and I think it's it's a shame if learning designers are met with no we do it this way because it's, it's, it's not good for the design process as a whole um, and I guess in every role knowing how to deal with the unknown a bit and being a bit able to be flexible, especially when it comes to processes yeah. and, and having to think a bit creatively and outside the box if things go a little strange. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, think through the conversations with yourself and, and, and others who are sort of doing similar roles recently, it, it, we're starting to tease out these sort of these core skills of learning designers and it's very much grounded in empathy, innovation, creativity, problem solving, collaboration, which I know are transferable a lot across a lot of disciplines, but they are, they do seem to be a core, a core part of the toolbox, the toolkit for, for learning designers. So it's interesting to hear you, you, you reflect your experience of that as well. I just want to ask you, um, 
quite a practical question around technologies, particularly given your background in learning technology. Obviously, learning designers use technology all the time. There's more technology, digital tools than ever before. But when you're delivering or when you're designing particularly a new learning experience or you're working in a new organisation, what guides you? I suppose, what what advice would you give to others about um, choosing technologies when you're trying to deliver learning experiences? Do you, do you have like go-to tools that you use or do you approach it in a different way? What, what guides you in terms of how do you navigate this, I don't know what you call it, quagmire of digital <laughs> applications? <laughs> Where to start? Um, yeah, this is going to sound like a really strange answer, but I'm going to say it anyway. For a learning technologist, I was really not bothered about the technology in the way that I was just more focused on the job at hand and the curriculum and the actual teaching and learning bit rather than the technology. Because, again, we've got so much technology that can deliver things. You know, we've got 10 tools that can deliver one thing. Whichever one you choose, they're going to do a similar kind of action. So I was quite interested in really finding out the needs from the curriculum perspective before choosing the technology. Having said that, I think every learning technologist sits on a bit of a spectrum. So whether they are more techie, less curriculum based, and I think a really great technology or learning technology development team will have people that sit on all ends, all parts of that spectrum so that you know not only one person is making choices about the tech, and it's, it's kind of balanced and equal between everybody within that team. And I think that's a good way to approach it. But in terms of technology itself, I think there's so many questions about whether VLEs and stuff are fit for purpose. That's, that's a, conversation, a conversation that just doesn't seem to end. And I think a huge conversation. <laughs> huge conversation. It's not going to end at any point soon. And I think people are waiting for the next innovative piece of technology that we can utilize that might make some of the uh, LMSs and VLEs a bit nervous. I don't know what that's going to look like or feel like yet, but I think we're, we're, we're still trying to work towards that. And in terms of a toolkit, I guess it's a very, you could make it as small as, as, as like five key items. I think you, you're always going to need some kind of main central source of truth. And this is, you know, this is the VLE, this is content management system which whichever has been chosen for that particular institution but there's always going to be something that brings all of the technology together and um, there's going to be bits that get stuck in at at, at different times and some of them don't look very pretty but they integrate kind of nicely some of them look nice but they're really clunky in the student learning experience so whichever tools that seem to be chosen there's always some kind of work around and some sticky tape to make it all work and that's that's one of the reasons why I kind of think about technology last <laughs> and, and just kind of focus on the on the learning because you know we we have tools we just need to know why we want to use them first I guess that's that's what I would say about that no it's great advice and that yeah so that that certainly reflects my view and you know reading things like the um, was it the conversational framework Diana Laurel like that idea of just focus on what part of the learning journey you actually try to enhance or improve or even affect with technology but focus on the learning first. I think no, that's yeah. great advice. Just, just really last question, I suppose, based on all of your experience in learning design, what advice would you give to someone, I say starting out, but perhaps sort of looking at some of these jobs and thinking, 
I don't know if I could do that, or maybe that's for me. I mean, what, what advice would you give, on, give to someone who is new to learning design and thinking of how to progress in the field? I think if I was going to give any advice to learning designers now, I think it would just be read. Read as much as you can. And I think if you have the opportunity to network and meet with people, ask lots of questions, you know, um, anybody that works in the field, it's really useful just to get the inside view and not the view that you just read about because it can be quite different on the inside. Um, and I think if you are the type of person that is full of empathy and is positive and in inquiring, and I think if you have a natural um, ability to communicate with people, then I think you're halfway there. And, and, and for me, the technology skills can be learnt, and I think that will depend on kind of where you end up anyway, because you might have to learn a different BLE, or you might have to learn how to use a different video tool, like Panopto, whatever it is. Um, I think it's more about, are you able to communicate with the people that you need to communicate with? Are you able to empathise with their needs? Are you able to really listen to their challenges and really think about a solution from their point of view and not your own? I think that's a really important one. Um, and I think probably to not get too caught up in the technology too soon and forget the, the kind of principles and, and the theories that kind of underpin what we do, because they are important. And, you know, to, to some extent, you can kind of learn as you go with the technology. <laughs> but as long as you've got a good grounding of kind of why you, why you want to be there in the first place, I think that's the best, the best kind of start. Geraldine, that's great advice. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Thank you for giving us an insight into, into what you do and, and your, your fees on learning design. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me.